0: hello everyone welcome to episode 37 of the decided heart effect where we invite you every week to take action and be inspired to live with a decided heart my name is sonia Montiel, and my co-host is hillary bilbrey and we are just so excited to have gabe ortiz join us today he's gonna he's a lots of things but let me just name drop a few first a father a professional actor a playwright and member of the Actors Equity Association, and the co-founder and vice principal of Get This Guys, a the Oasis Middle School. Right? We always say middle schoolers. That's courage enough. Um, and that middle school is located in Bradenton, Florida. So, Gabe, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so. I'm honored excited.
1: to be here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: When
2: Sonia first brought your story to to me and she's like, I think we should talk to Gabe. And I know you go you go a long way back with Sonia as well. I was like, all right, let's see what's." you have such a fascinating background. And then just after our hearts with how you really work with youth and well, with all of us, but with youth in particular, What brought you to doing what you do now? What, how did you get to this? Well, first of all, I guess you you really need to start out telling us more about yourself. But then in that, like, how how did you get here, Gabe?
1: Well, you you know, um, I think that uh, over over my my lifetime, um, many, that's been asked of me in many different ways, you know, uh, in my performances, in talkbacks, um, especially when people hear uh, the, the challenges that I've uh, overcome in my life. Um, and they'll often ask me, you know, what, what is the secret to um, my own personal success? You know, they want to know how I survived my childhood um, growing up in the projects of, of South Los Angeles with uh, a mother on heroin, um, my father who was in prison for over 100 armed robberies, my brothers that were involved in, in gangs and um, violent crime, and, and oftentimes, you know, I've given different answers um, and I would say things like theater, theater gave me focus, right? It allowed me to transform these um, negative experiences, these negative feelings into something that was more positive for my life, right? It taught me how to collaborate with with other people um, uh, to access different parts of myself and then apply it to, um, Apply it to me in the real world. Um, I have credited the angels on earth, you know, my brothers who, um, even though they were in gangs, they carefully guarded over me, made sure that um, I wasn't caught up in the streets, even though they were out doing the very same things that they were telling me not to do. Um, or my grandmother who was 65 years old and took in a 13 year old and gave me security and guidance at a really critical point um, in my life um, and was doing the job that my parents couldn't do because they were immersed in a, in a life of drugs and alcohol and crime. Um, sometimes I say it was my, uh, the educators in my life who really equipped me with words, with understanding, with, with action, that allowed me to step outside of the box and and see a world outside of my body, right? My neighborhood. Um, And it really really was all of those things, but those were just small pieces to um, a bigger puzzle of my life. Because I think there was really only one answer to that question. And I think it's one that continues to guide me in many different ways. And it's an, it's an influence that is, um, that is greater than myself. And, and I think it really shows up, uh, in the back of my mind or as a thought, right. It's a, it's a tugging that's in the pit of my stomach or, or an idea that just won't go away. Right. It's that absolute, um undeniable knowing right you can't physically see it you can't touch it but you can sense it it's almost like if if you reach up you 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 can sense its presence you know it's there but you can't physically put your hand on it but you know that that what you're doing is on the right path right that that for me has been um the answer for my life and um You know, people, people call it by different names, you know, some call it God, some call it the universe. Um, You guys call it the decided heart, right? It's that internal voice, that bell that goes off in your head, right? And if you could just be still long enough to, to hear it, to connect yourself to that source that you know to be your truth and, and then brave enough to take action on it and, and follow it in the midst of. Of your personal storms, then um, anything is possible for your life, and and my own my own life is a testament to that. And when when Sonia asked me to be a part of this, he, she, and she said, you know, what is that one? Uh, we want you to talk about that decided heart moment in your life. Um, that was difficult because I've had many decided heart moments. I you know I call them. I call them dots. You know, major moments in my life where a critical decision is made that that recalibrates um, your life's course. And sometimes uh, you are lucky enough in the moment to recognize it as a dot, as a as a decided heart moment, and you can experience it in all of its glory. But other times, you know, you you look back on it and you go that was a dot and and if you can connect to how that one dot leads to the next then a picture of your truth begins to emerge and one major dot in my life one decided heart moment one that altered the course of my life was the choice to teach you know, I was living an actor's life in New York, and and I had just left this, uh, it's in my one-person show, but I had just left this terrible audition, and I was feeling sorry for myself, and I was sitting um, on a park bench thinking to myself, God, this can't be all there is. There's There's got to be a greater purpose for my life, but... To understand why this was a decided heart moment, um, you really have to rewind to 13 years prior because it connects to an earlier dot, to an earlier decided heart moment when I was 15 and I decided that I wanted to audition um, for this theater production at my church. You know, I was this shy kid from the inner city with a, a stutter, I was insecure, um, and theater was not what someone did in our neighborhood. And there was something inside of me that even though I was scared, I knew it was right. I felt it. So I auditioned. And um, there was this woman in our church by the name of Irene Hondrulis, who had written a play that confronted the effects uh, effects that gangs and violence were uh, having on our community. But it was really dealing with the power of change. It was looking at it from a Christian perspective, but nevertheless that bigger idea of of, of you are accountable for your life and for the choices that you make. And um, and there were other kids in it who were coming from the same neighborhood that I was that with background that I, that I did with backgrounds like me and who were living this, Every, their everyday reality on the stage, their experience was um, elevated to art. So through the process of, of this rehearsal, something was happening internally to us. Um, it was causing, it was bringing about a, a, a transformation that we really wouldn't understand until years later but you could definitely feel it. And and this transformation wasn't only for us, but for our community as well. And um, after each production, uh, for those of you who who grew up religious, uh, our pastor did an altar call and uh, hundreds of people came forward. And I can remember standing, um, it was on stage, but it was the altar, uh, thinking, wow, look at that the power of theater, the power of art. And that's when I decided that I wanted to open up a performance group for inner city kids. Now, I, 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 was, I was in the inner city myself. I had no idea what that meant. I don't know where I heard that. I don't know where I saw that. I was just a kid from the hood, but, but it, it sounded right. It sounded pretty important. It sounded pretty powerful. So I just continued to say it. And so you fast forward a a few years later and I'm graduating from from university Um, and my college counselor asks me, you know, what now? And that phrase pops up again. I wanna open up a performance group for inner city kids. And he said, "Ah, you can always do that. You can always go uh, go in that direction. But you know, you need more education. You you have to go for your graduate degree." And I thought, "Okay, that sounds right. It feels right." So I followed it, um, and it took me out of California. I've never been, never had been out of California in my life, and and um, so for the first time, I was away from home in Pennsylvania. Um, and, uh, you know, in my in my third year there, um, I performed my own one person show called My Prodigal Son, and I had been working on it for three years because I wanted to. If we had to write our own our own production, I wanted to come out with something that that uh, was my voice in the world. And so I based it off of letters and interviews with my father while he was incarcerated. Um, and it was really my journey of self-acceptance and forgiveness. And that kind of work was becoming more gradu- gradually more important in my life, how to use your own experience uh, as art. So fast forward again a year later and I'm in New York, New York after this audition and I'm thinking, God, there's gotta be more to this thing. And that's when um, the principal at a last chance high school in Florida whom I was referred to by a theater that I had worked at, um, invited me in to be an artist in residence for a year at, at this high school. And in that moment, there was this um, this instant knowing, this instant recognition of truth. And so I thought I would go down, you know, create some theater with with um, these children. And I say these children uh, purposefully, Um, you know, make a change in their lives. Maybe afterwards continue acting in Chicago. But at the end of that year, she says, you know, I'm I'm opening up a a a, a charter school for the same population of children because what we realized is that these children these children were getting to uh, 22 years old and didn't have the basic skills to be able to pass the standardized test. We knew we needed to get them at a younger age. And, and I said, I, I I don't I don't know what that means. I don't know how to do that. I mean, I'm an actor, but it feels right. There's something about about that that connects, connects with with something inside of me. So I said yes. So, and what's that?
0: Well, Gabe, I, I just kind of want to stay present right, right at that. <laughs> moment that's representative of so many, so many dots. And um, what resonates to to me is that, you know, in in the name of busyness, in the name of and a flurry, and somehow in our society, we put so much value in the more busy we are, the more valuable we are. And what you're noting is, in the sake of what we could be sacrificing in being busy is this distraction of all these dots that we're missing. And what I am really celebrating, and, and just, it's profound ever since you were 13, is the, the personal respect of being cu- the curiosity, like theater, huh, 13 years old, no one else is doing theater. <laughs> right. uh, friends aren't doing theater, but there's something that I'm very curious about. And, and that intuition, I mean, if we can only have that intuition, right, Hillary? like I'm going to seek this out. And so for me, th- uh, the virtues of curiosity and courage seems to like recycle itself. Like I don't know if "recycle" is the right word, but just continue to parallel in your life. Curiosity, let me seek this out, and do I have the courage to to take action on that?
1: Right, and, and, and then then the, knowing the- knowing that it's it's towards something. You don't you you don't know where it's going, but yeah. you know it's important. You may not even be able to make the connection, but there's there's something inside of you that goes. This is right this feels right, it, it's, uh, it, it's uh, I, I don't know how to explain it. It, it could be discernment, it could be a, it, it's just a, it, it's a knowing that you're moving in the right direction, you don't know why. And it doesn't mean it's, it doesn't mean it's not gonna be hard, right? Because there's a moment where you, you where even if you choose truth, you think, did I make the right decision? And the answer is always yes, but when you're trying to do something extraordinary, right? When you're trying to be a force for good or, or a vehicle for change, when you're trying to um, do something to transform your little corner of the world, there's always an equal and opposite reaction, right? One that makes you second guess yourself. It wants to frustrate the hell out of you. It wants yeah. to. It wants to make you quit. Yeah. And and for me, when I went into teaching, it was this culture shock. It was a lack of preparation and understanding. I wasn't a teacher, I was an actor. And so even even with the purity of heart, there's that, you know, you, you want to start to point fingers at all the problems at, at all the things that are not going your way, but there as the old adage goes, you, when you point one finger, you have three pointing back at yourself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you're only controlling, really, what you can do to change if you in fact are following that truth right you can't expect the outside forces to change it it has to be continuous growth on your end and so and so I I, I went in I, I went in and I opened up this middle school but I didn't know what the hell I was doing but I knew that it was right and I and I think that through that, I, I came to develop really three major philosophies in my life. And one is relationship is everything. If you don't have engagement, you have nothing. And you can't manage if you can't teach. I mean, you can't uh, teach if you can't manage. Um, and so really, the the, the, the the first two, I followed those first two because it, it led to the third as a byproduct. So I, I started this relationship relationship. I started engaging in relationship and engagement and the way that I knew uh, was the theater, acting, my dots, my, my decided heart moments, my life experiences, my struggles. What I knew was creating, um, creating um, arts out of the grit of my life, out of the, the, painful fabric of my experiences in hope, in hopes that I might touch upon um, the universal, not only in myself, but in others. Um, And so I came in and I I began to apply this perspective to my work as an educator and used my truths to connect to theirs. And it was sort of like a, a springboard into my future So I thought, well, why couldn't it do the same for them? So um, I I began to use my life to help students understand that by using their own narratives, they were um, touching upon what it means to be human. Right, It's, it's, it's allowing them to see how all the parts fit together to see their experience not as singular, but as, as global, right? These dots of their lives um, become sort of a, a, a catalyst for healing and transformation. And it, and, it, and it helps to pave the road for others to traverse their own challenges. And so now 30 years later, you know, through my theater group that I started for inner city kids um, called the Take Theater Ensemble, we use their lives to create theater. And, and, I, and I just, it's like, I, I want them to see that their narrative does not shackle them um, to their past, but rather is a key to helping them craft their future and help others craft their future. Yeah. And I think that's how you change the world, you know? Um, yeah,
2: I, I, first of all, I just let everything, I feel like, yes, I want to, I mean, I'm feeling you're taking me to church this morning because I I mean, I started out as a, as a teacher. And so what you're saying, and and quite frankly, I actually started out in a school that was, um, you know, bus driver was being held hostage at gunpoint. And so I'm seven months pregnant, blocking a door thinking, why am I doing this? You know, it's, And, you know, so, but I am still friends 20 years later with those students because of the connection and the relationships, because if you don't care, they won't care. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is the messages and the narrative that they are getting so much, and again, they, but the the messages that they're getting so much in their life is that their narratives don't matter, that they're throwaway kids and that their stories are not worthy. They're not worthy of anything other than playing the villain. Mm -hmm. And so- What I love about what you're doing is, is I understand that, like, I feel like there's another level going on here, which is yes, the transformation using their story transforms their lives, but also there's a worthiness. There's an enoughness that says your story matters enough that we should tell it. And I think for many, many years, that has not been the case. Not the true story. Not the real story. Not the let me listen. Instead, let me cast you. Um, and I think that was one of your decided heart moments where you were like, no, be be in this little box because you know this is who you have to play, right? When you were when you were acting. I know Sonia told me a story about that. And I think the same thing holds true in life. It's like, oh, well, you grow up here. So this is the story you need to play out. This is who you need to become. And this is what we think your life is worth. Mm -hmm. And you're taking that and you're saying, no, actually, your story is already worthy. And not only that, but let's start telling it. And you hold the pen. You are on the stage and you get to write the next chapter, the next act. And how is that going to play out? And how is that going to look in your life? um, so empowering and so, so beautiful, because I do think we don't hear that message enough, but especially with the kids you're working with, they don't hear enough that their stories matter.
1: I call it the me versus the I. And oftentimes if you grow up in, you grow up in poverty, you grow up in a, in a certain, in a certain mindset, in a certain world. Um, and you, um, for whatever reason you leave that, that bubble, you somehow think you're a a sellout if you begin to change your language, um, you know, begin to do different things. There's a, there's a guilt that comes along with it. If you, if you move out of, out of that experience while everyone else hasn't transcended that yet. And what I, what I'm teaching my children through theater is, um, you know, there's many different aspects of who you are. It's, it, it, this is me at church. This is me in the hood. This is me in a professional situation. This is me at school. And all of those me's make up the eye. And you can, you, you pick and, and choose them as you see fit to move forward in your life in the way that you need to, to do so. Um, but, but part of getting children to understand that is to see that there's many different aspects of who you are. Um, And you really teach them that through the theater um, by taking on different roles. And, and, and um, for me, it was, it was learning different dialects. It was stepping into the shoes of someone else. It was um, learning how to think differently and talk differently and live differently in, in ways that I had never imagined before. And so, you know, always, I always thought that by, um, you know, a lot of people think, well, art is going to transform. Well, okay, maybe. Art is, is to entertain in, in many senses of the word, right? But for me, I, I never really believed by putting something on the stage, you were going to change the world. But by participating in the theater, um, you, you begin to transform. And because you transform, you change the world and so but I, you know by learning by learning um different tools by working with people by by researching history by stepping into the shoes of someone else you begin to empathize and because you empathize you 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 see the world from a different perspective and that's oftentimes um how you how you transcend to the next level you know ruby Payne. Um, it talks about the hidden rules of poverty. And oftentimes kids, children that are uh, are being brought up in poverty only know one set of rules. And in order to transcend, they have to realize there's a whole set of unspoken rules in, in, in the middle class and in, in wealth that if you never learn, you will never be in. And, and so they, um, I, I try to teach them what those rules are um, through the theater. Mm-hmm.
0: And I just, I wanted to shift on, on another moment that I resonated with and you know I wanna really, um, what grabbed me was your premiere, uh, Between Two Truths. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a play that you've written and I don't, I was so lucky to have jumped on that window where I could see it. And I really do hope that I, I couldn't find it again on Sarah Solo, um, but it is, it is the story of your life and particularly as an educator, trying to find those three points of relationship, manage and transformation. I, not relating to the acting side, but for an educator. And I think I thought about every educator out there, which includes parents. Parents to me are the first educators in the child's life, right? And the whole notion of being so extra careful that when we have this moment, like, oh my gosh, I can impact this young person's life. I, with all my heart and intention and goodness, can teach what's right in the world or how to empower them. And the vulnerabilities that you share within this play in your story was that you come in with the all knowing until you don't know, until you absolutely say, oh, I, I thought I could do right in the world. And this, this happens especially now when we think of the needs of all of our students, all students, there is an, there is an experience that they're having and here we are as adults saying, oh, I can help with the social emotional thing. Let me, let me help you without understanding thoughtfully and carefully where they are. And that's why I have to just put this plug in. I am trying to get this show out there in the entire world. I want the entire world to see this play because mm-hmm. it was so powerful. So I'm just kind of flipping it a little bit in, in that moment where you said, you came in and thought you knew and then said, oh crap, I don't know anything.
1: <laughs> you know sometimes loving and good inten- good intentions are not enough. Um and you have a lot of wonderful young teachers who go into inner city schools with a, a, with a purity of heart. Um and and because of whatever whatever um reason you point your finger at don't succeed and um and it's not enough to just want to love um and it's not enough to have a purity of heart. Instead, what you have to do is you have to step to the line every single day. You have to you 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 have to constantly make the choice. So it's not just one. You know, you you have your decided heart moment, but then you then you you, you constantly have to choose this is what i'm doing this is through the ups and the downs i choose this you have to stop looking towards the door to walk out or for somebody else to walk in or you know for for the universe to open up the 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 heavens and and give you inspiration you have to constantly search that thing out and for me um this play is really about that moment where i decided to become a teacher thought even though I grew up in that kind of way. I was only eight years out of, out of um, university. And, and then I thought like, ho- holy crap, the, the world The whole world of high school has changed so dramatically just in the eight years that I've been away. It's, it, it's transformed. I mean, it's, it's, um, they, they have cell phones. They, ha- it's just a different world. And I just wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared. I couldn't do it. But luckily, I had a mentor that that was guiding me through it, that just continued to to remind me, check into your heart, seek out, um, seek out those people that you admire, seek out uh, educators who are doing it um, and continue to make the choice. And so while a lot of young teachers, you know, five years into it have have dropped out of the out of teaching profession, I just continue to. Um, to do it. And I, and I try to, even in my training with educators, I try to use theater as a way for conflict resolution. So instead of, you know, teacher, sometimes teachers, uh, our, our, we think we have power in the write-up. I'm going to write this student up and give it to the principal and the, te- the principal's going to suspend them and, and I'm, I'm right and they're wrong. And, And unfortunately, that doesn't do anything. That child is out for three days and I want that child to be in school. They don't learn anything, they're just out of school. I want them to be in front of me. Um, I know who my clientele is. It's like when you go to McDonald's. You know, McDonald's is not gonna serve Taco Bell. They know who their clientele is. They know what their clientele wants. Um, And my my school is no different. You know who you're getting when they go inside the classroom. So you can't be surprised when they show you who they are and you can't expect that they're going to change or respect you because you're the adult in the room. So then you have to figure out what is in your tool belt. And so I try to use theater as a way to get educators and students to work through their problems. And that means, all right, let's go back to that moment when, when you had that conflict. Um, teach what you were teaching, do what you were doing, let me see what happens. Okay, look at the student, now Now try this, let's go back to that moment, now try this experience, try, try, try using these words, try using this strategy, educator, you know, and, and they'll do it, and then I'll tell the educator, okay, you know, the student keep doing what you're doing, but now when he does this, uh, attempt this action instead, see what you get. So that so that it becomes real world training in the moment and and both teachers and student are learning to resolve that conflict in the moment, as opposed to relying on their fight and flight response um, to to take over, you know, they're just going, they're going based off of what they would do when it's personal and um, I want them to go higher than that. And that comes with practice and with giving them the strategies and the tools and the words. And I'm, I use theater for that.
2: Well, I, what really, and it's, oh my gosh, I feel like, all right after this whole thing, we need to set aside time and just chat because I'm like, oh my gosh he's speaking so much of my language. Ah, like my brain is about ready to explode. Uh, but, and, and specifically uh, uh, I've told this story before but a moment when I was teaching and thought I was so smart with, you know, four rules, respect yourself. I was what, 24, you know, Mm -hmm. respect yourself, respect others, respect me, respect the work. You don't have to love it. You don't have to love Shakespeare, but we're doing it. Pick up the, pick up the sword on the floor and we're going to, you know, do Hamlet. And um, what happened one day in particular, it was an American lit class, Jose, again, 20 years ago, plain as day, because it was such a moment of humility. Um, And that was the terminology that I was thinking of as you were talking. And I'll put a pin Mm -hmm. in that in a second. But Really, it was this moment where Jose's in the back of the room and he's talking while I'm talking. I'm like, Jose, be more respectful. And so we keep going and he's still talking, but quieter. And I'm like, Jose, be more respectful. I'm livid, right? Right. And then third time, I'm like, he's a little quieter, but still talking. I'm like, Jose. Finally, he goes, miss, miss. I'm like, what? And he said, I'm so much nicer to you than my mom. What do you mean by respect? That moment changed my entire life because we stopped American Lit. I mean, truly, Sonia has, when I talk, that moment changed my life, didn't it? Because I went, oh my gosh, we're all coming from a different background, different genders, households, ethnicity, like all of these different things give us different rules and different systems and different, all kinds of things to interact in. And we assume that the other, knows what we're talking about. And we've mm-hmm. not ever established any ground rules. So Absolutely. we stopped and we laid out on the board. What does respect mean to you? And do we hold a responsibility in a moment, if someone's being disrespectful, to communicate what respect looks like before we get angry? Come what it
1: mind. looks like to you, right. What it looks
2: like to me. What does it look like to you? You know, right. and and so having this mutual agreement and having, so it was really, that day changed the way that I interact with everyone moving forward. And really, I learned within this, this idea of humility, we always look at humility as being, oh, no, that's, you know, I'm not bragging. I'm not bragging. So I'm fine. But Mm -hmm. humility is, I don't know everything. I need to ask for help. And I need to listen more than I speak. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that you're really uh, wrapping all of that up. And it's funny, because Sonia, I just finished reading CAST and and, um, C-A-S-T-E. CAST is a book on race and, and Cassandra Speaks and all of these things are happening and listening to you. The same theme is coming through right now and it's powerful and I think it's a powerful for this time in our life with the divisiveness that we're seeing and everything else we need to start by listening and connecting. It's the relationship, it's what you just said. That same thing for teaching is what we need when I connect with who you are, even though you have a different experience and I don't listen, it's radical empathy, right? Not listening with how would I respond in that situation, but listening to how you responded and learning from that instead of making all of these assumptions. So anyway, I just am having this moment of like, yes, <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> it, it, it is so hard, and it and it comes it, it comes with experience, but it, I think it also comes with what we can be doing in the schools. Um, you know, uh, theater teaching and training programs um, are um, they're so intellectual. And then you, you might have, uh, you know, you're working under a teacher in the schools and, and and the teacher they may put you with may be a teacher that that is in that mindset and then maybe not. So you may be picking up on some bad habits or we, we may s- send our, our educators to professional development where they just feel like it's a waste of their time. And then once we send them to that professional development, we don't do anything to make sure that, that it's being implemented. Um, inside the, the schoolhouse. Um, so I think we need to do more to, um, to get on our feet and fail in front of each other so that when we get into the classroom, um, that's, that, the show's on. You know, In acting, you, you have a six week rehearsal period before you get in front of anyone. And then when you get on stage, that, that's it. That's your performance. But oftentimes it's backwards in teaching. Teaching is a craft, it's an art form, but we throw teachers in there with no experience, no rehearsal, no training. And we say, okay, now now do it. No, we need to spend a a period of time where we allow them to to rehearse and to fail and to give them, to build up that tool belt so that when they get in front of that, that group of children, they're not responding Based on just their personal instincts, that is influenced by their by, by their history and their personal traumas. But instead, I I can reach in and I can pull out the hammer and nails when I need it. Oh, that doesn't require a hammer and nails. Now now it requires a school school screw, a screwdriver. You know, I'm not just using a sledgehammer to to um, handle every problem. And it reminds me what you were saying um, that uh, there there's two moments. One where you know in the in, um, often in the Latino community, young men are taught not to look at their, the male in the eye. So they'll shake your hand, but they'll look down as a sign of respect. Well, you know, in in um, in American culture, we're taught if you don't look me in the eye and give me a firm handshake, you can't be trusted. Mm. So so when you have that miscommunication with one another, where you're you know I'm I'm looking at you because you're shady because you're not looking you know you you're not looking me in my eye, that we have to be taught that. I call it the chain test. And one time uh, in my second year, I had this young man who was intelligent, um, Was uh, he, I think he was 13 years old, rode bikes. And I said, um, mijo, would you do me a favor? I call everyone mijo and mija. Um, and I said, would you do me a favor and go uh, uh, um, just chain the the gate to the fence, please? And so he went out there and you know, 10 minutes later, he the the gate's still not locked and when we walk out there he's he's weaving the chain through the fence and then I said okay did it lock and he opens the gate no and he couldn't figure out how to attach the the fence to the gate to make sure that it locked and it was at that moment where I when I realized just like you Hillary that I can't make any assumptions. You know, I can't, I can't change. I, I can't assume that my kids know how to lo- chain a fence. I can't assume that they know what two plus two is. I can't assume that they know how to write. I can't assume that they know how to put a napkin on their lap and, and eat with a knife, knife and fork. I can't assume those things. Um, my job is to educate my children in many different kinds of ways. We would all love children where you can open up their minds and pour your knowledge into it and send them off. That's not what teaching is. That's not what educating is. We educate in many different kinds of ways. And it's our job. I can't point at socioeconomics. I, I can't point at, at uh, lack of parenting or, you know, I, 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 those I can't do anything about. I can only control what happens in my space, in my time. And it is my job to fill the lack.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that is a fantastic way to close our episode. I think oh, no. we're going to no. have like mini chapters, chapter, <laughs> we're going to have to come back for chapter two. And um, just before, you know, Hillary closes us out, how can, cause to me, I feel like your 45 minute play is just set, cause you know, through art we entertain, but that's the way to get them in. That's the way to like slap them in the face. Like, oh my gosh, I have... I'm having this profound reflection experience. How can our viewers and listeners kind of follow you? Because you have more projects coming up as well. How do we, how do we keep on board? Have them watch Between Two Truths and Your Future
1: Place. Oh, that's such a great question. You know, um, the, the benefit that I had uh, through this experience, it was through the Sarah Solo uh, project. And I will actually um, talk to them um, to see if they can uh, open up um, the, the performance so that people can still uh, buy tickets to that. Um, because I'm connecting my work to to theater companies, um, and the show ended uh, last week. So the, the quick answer to that right now, unless it's connected to a theater company, is I, I don't know. Um, there's no way right now, but my hope is to, is to take this to uh, theaters around the country, to schools around the country, um, to conferences, um, so that people can see this kind of work that I'm doing. Um, like you mentioned, I'm in the process of writing another show, and it's about... It's about my daughter's brain aneurysm five years ago and how my life was was relatively normal and then i overnight inherited a child that was handicapped and um how because i adopted her i i didn't i didn't really feel like her father but when she had her brain aneurysm she gave birth to me as a father because suddenly at eight years old, I had to teach her how to eat and I had to rock her to sleep. And I had to teach her how to walk and to talk and to live life. And that that really gave birth to me as a father because most fathers had that experience when yeah. babies, right? Well, I didn't have that. So that that's what my next uh, show is about. So you just, um, you just, I will talk to the theater and then I will let you know.
0: <laughs> well, you just committed yourself to being a guest again. <laughs> So
1: I'd be honored.
2: <laughs> not just guest but friend, I hope. Okay. So I I truly um this has been it's funny. we were recording this on a Sunday y'all and I feel like like for me this has felt like church. Because <laughs> I mean it re- no it really has because um and I'm going to try not to get emotional as I'm closing out because I'm supposed to do the outro as we call it today right? And and yet I'm sitting here and I'm like but I don't want this to end because this is the part of life that I wanna live in. And, and I really do think that it is our responsibility to see the best and bring out the best in one another. I didn't say pour in the best to other people. I said, bring out <laughs> the best in other people. And that's what you do daily. And uh, I love, I, I just feel so grateful. I learned a new, ta- a new term in this book that we just read where she said, what if instead of being strong and silent, we were brave and open. And I wanna thank you so much for being so brave and so open with with us, with our listeners, with your students, because vulnerability can be a superpower. And without that, without you listening to your truth, all of this is for naught. None of this happens. And and powerful things happen when you live within that vulnerability and truth. So thank you so much. And I just want to say to all of our listeners, if you have joined listening today, which I hope you have do make sure that you join us on another episode of decided heart every week. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us on Spotify on pod Apple podcast, anywhere you listen, but how about this thought to leave you find ways in your own life to be brave, to be open and to listen, because when you listen in the stillness, you'll hear your truth and you'll know how to make the impact on the world that you were made to have.
1: And take action.
2: Take action.
0: Thank you.